You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. The movie is Spider-Man No Way Home, which came out in 2021 and was directed by John Watts. You ready? I'm ready. That spell that you botched, we started getting visitors from every universe. Let's catch some multiverse men. He sounds weird, but I'll allow it. Spider-Man, no way home. When you're thinking, hey, I'm about to do something that could break the universe. Run it by us next time. Deal. Exclusively in cinemas, coming soon. It stars Tom Holland, Zendaya, Benedict Cumberbatch, Marissa Tomei, Jacob Battalion, John Favreau, Alfred Molina, Jamie Foxx, Willem Dafoe, J.K. Simmons, and yes, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. The genre would be superhero drama. Spoiler alert, once again, if you have zero clue as to what every piece of marketing for this film has been hinting at and don't want it spoiled, just be warned. Spider-Man No Way Home. This was pretty solid. It's entertaining, has some very good scenes, a really strong central performance from Tom Holland, by far his best, as the titular lead, too many cutesy references, genuine heart, not enough action, too much dead space, occasional good humor, and significantly too much incomprehensible CGI. It is what it is, and it achieves what it sets out to do, for sure. If you're an avid fan of this incarnation of Spider-Man and or the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe in general, then I have little doubt that you'll absolutely love this film. Like Captain America Civil War and Avengers Endgame before it, it's a bloated movie designed to please the fans. And I'll say this, it's significantly better than either of those films because at the very least, it has a much more focused storyline. At its core, this is Peter Parker's story, and it's a good one too. He experiences real adversity learns the genuine limitations of not only his powers, but the powers of one of his fellow Avengers. He makes some familiar, at least to us, new friends along the way. And he comes out the other end of this movie with some real growth. Now, up until this point, I had not been that impressed with Holland in these movies, playing Spider-Man and Peter Parker. He's clearly a gifted physical actor, and he's convincing with all the acrobatic Spidey stuff. But to me, his portrayal of this character, and partially through no fault of his own, the way this MCU version of Peter Parker's Spider-Man has been written, it was just way too forced, overtly cutesy, like out of a 90s teen sitcom. It felt at times as if every other line coming out of his mouth was geared towards having a laugh track following it. But that wasn't the case this time around. I have to say that the performances from both Holland and Zendaya as MJ, his girlfriend and love and all that, were probably the biggest pleasant surprises for me. Both actors had genuine chemistry and they were both very engaging. Peter! Hey! 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 I'm so sorry for dragging you in. This is, you just gotta help me find these guys. You, you, you don't have to apologize, okay? You got us a second shot at MIT. It's fine. So, how did the bad guys get here? You screwed up a spell trying to get you into college. Wait, what? I you thought it was it the MIT magic? lady you saved. Uh, no, that was after. Listen, let's just focus on the good news. And speaking of which, 
Yes, we see the return of several characters from the five non-MCU live-action Spider-Man movies, which preceded Spider-Man Homecoming. Mainly each of the main villains of those movies, plus the two previous Spider-Man slash Peter Parkers. I get that this is a spoiler, but I'm honestly still at a loss as to why exactly Sony slash Marvel had to be so coy about this in the lead-up to this film. Seriously, the promise of seeing all three Spider-Men together and the return of several of those villains is pretty much the main hook for this movie, driving the hype. And just speaking for myself, I know I would have had zero interest in seeing this otherwise. Just for context, I loved Spider-Man 2 from 2004. I liked the first Spider-Man from 2002, and I generally enjoyed both Amazing Spider-Man movies from 2012 and 2014. Those latter two were flawed movies, but I also loved Andrew Garfield playing this character. So, of course, through the inclusion of Doctor Strange in this story, a spell is cast, which inadvertently opens up the, quote, multiverse to bring these characters from older movies back into the fray. And regarding Doctor Strange, Cumberbatch is always fun to watch, but dude still sounds way too much like Rickman pretending to be American in Die Hard for my tastes. But he's mainly here to bring magic into the story, and he serves his purpose well. You ready? I'm ready. Nice knowing you, Spider-Man. Wait, excuse me? The entire world's about to forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Everyone? Uh, can't some people still know? That's not how the spell works. So my girlfriend's just gonna forget about everything we've been through? I mean, is she even gonna be my girlfriend? All right, fine. Everyone in the world's gonna forget that you're Spider-Man, except your girlfriend. Thank you so much. Oh my god, Ned. Okay, let's not change the parameters of this spell anymore while I'm casting Okay, I'm done, I'm done. I swear I'm done, I'm done. Now, about the return of those characters. Did it live up to the hype for me? Well, yes and no. Seeing both Garfield and Maguire return to these characters is a genuine blast. They bring back both of their signature quirky charms and pathos to these characters. And all three actors, Holland included, they're all really good together. It is a genuine joy to watch them interact, and it actually serves the story as well. Naturally, we're curious as to how your web situation works. That's all. I, if it's personal, I don't want to like pry, but I just no, think it's it, cool. I, I wish I could tell you, but I just like, I don't do it. Like I don't, like I don't do breathing. Like breathing just happens. Whoa. Like, does it just come out of your wrists or does it come out of anywhere else? Only, only the wrists. You never had a web block? Cause I run out of webs all the time. I have to make my own in a right. lab. That's, and it's a hassle. That sounds like got. a hassle, yeah. But I, I did actually said that. I was like, oh, I had a web block. Whoa, why? Existential crisis stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, don't get me started on that. As for the villains, well, sadly, it's more of a mixed bag. For one thing, there are just too many of them. Their motivations are not always clear. And sorry, but just not all of the performances land as well as they should. In fact, to my surprise, I didn't find any of these villains that compelling nor, frankly, menacing. Willem Dafoe, I've, ma- I've said this before, he's one of my favorite all-time actors. And wow, seriously, the dude has not aged at all in 20 years. Seeing him reappear as Norman Osborn and the Goblin, it's like not a day has passed since like 2002. But he's just not given much to do besides alternating abruptly between acting like a lost sad sack and a cackling villain. He's just not given much to do. And Alfred Molina as Doc Ock, or Dr. Octavius. He's fine, but he's defanged as a danger way too early. And the way his character moves just had much less weight to it than he did in the 2004 Spider-Man movie. Honestly, that might have more to do with the special effects portraying him this time around, 
but it still kind of bothered me. It just did not feel like the same character. Not completely. Hello, Peter. Hi, Dwin. Do I know you? What have you done with my machine? Uh, your machine? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. What machine? Do you want to play games? Catch! Don't worry, ma'am! I'm coming! And about that CGI. The scenes of Tom Holland's Spider-Man swinging through the city early on, especially with MJ on his arms, they're really well done. But as we get into that climax, atop the Statue of Liberty at night, it increasingly starts to feel like a jumble of sky beams, lightning, smoke, and nondescript metal girders just flopping around. And even worse, come on. Just an unforced error here on the part of John Watts and whichever second unit crew was tasked with the film's biggest action sequence. It's pretty difficult to tell the three Spider-Men apart from each other during this sequence. Now granted, Holland's version, the newer version, he has the more high-tech gloss suit. But amidst all of this CGI chaos, even that's not always obvious. And I get the inherent challenge of presenting three Spider-Men in the same frame at the same time, as you still want them to still each look like Spider-Man. But why not maybe have one with his mask off, one with his suit torn up? I don't know. It's just frustrating to not be able to tell who's doing what during some of this film's most critical moments. And that said, though, the climax finishes strongly with some more grounded action, and there's some nicely earned emotional beats as well, taking us to the ending, or sorry, endings. This film probably has at least two too many endings, but at least they all generally work. Overall, Spider-Man No Way Home is a satisfying piece of entertainment that works mainly because of the central story and performance at its core. If it wasn't crammed with so many characters and fan service nods, if it was probably about 30 minutes shorter, it could have had the potential to be a great love letter to one of the premier characters in pop culture. The love for this character is certainly there on the screen with Holland, plus the reemergence of the other two. And I completely get why the fans and critics are just eating this up. As it stands for me, it's merely good enough. And that brings me to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Now, if I'm being honest, I've always been mixed on the theme music for Spider-Man movies. Unlike Batman, which has at least two great standalone movie themes, I've never found an entire theme for a Spider-Man to be completely satisfying. But that said, going back to the 2002 and 2004 Sam Raimi Spider-Man films, scored by Danny Elfman, I always loved that intro that intro that plays just as the credits are starting. Just escalating percussion, strings, and choral vocals, usually over opening credits featuring images of webs forming. And I could tell you that if this played at the beginning of this movie, that might have earned it an extra half star alone. Gratefully, Spider-Man No Way Home does have a solid overall score from one of today's 
true composing masters, Michael Giacchino. Now, it's not one of his best, among which I would include the 2009 Star Trek reboot, The Incredibles, John Carter, and the TV show Lost, which had really great music. But it does the job for sure, and it even includes some themes from past incarnations of Spider-Man. I'm pretty sure, because I've only seen this movie once, that I did hear hints of that first Elfman score in snippets, but I just can't nail down when. One other thing that I did notice, though just briefly brought back, was the Electro Suite from The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which was originally composed by another one of my favorite composers, Hans Zimmer. I believe we hear this theme in Spider-Man No Way Home when we are first introduced to Electro, emanating from power lines in one pretty fun sequence early on, just kind of featuring Spidey on his own, seeking out new threats who might have slipped in from the, quote, multiverse. The original theme for The Amazing Spider-Man 2 was really quite the production. It featured French horns, whispered dialogue from Jamie Foxx himself, who plays Electro, and even some fast-paced synthesizer altering the beat of the theme at times. It's a really crazy, varied piece of music, which Hans Zimmer produced alongside Farrell Williams and Johnny Marr. Now, to be fair, playing the original music from that movie here would probably just stick out like a sore thumb amidst an otherwise conventional score. But Giacchino does a nice job of appropriating the theme mainly through his orchestra. And once again, it's pretty damn catchy. And that brings me to the next category. That would be wasted talent. The most underutilized talent involved with the film. Yep, in case you had not already realized it, this is just a loaded category. The writing, pacing, and even the editing of several scenes revolving just around the returning villains, it just feels off sometimes. Now, apparently this film had some production issues with different parties behind the scenes, because this came from two different studios, pushing for more screen time devoted towards certain characters. And it very much shows in many of these sequences featuring the villains. You'll often see several of them in the same room or location, but they don't always feel like they're actually interacting in person. And the issues with the villains are not just limited to this movie, to be fair. Because even though I liked Jamie Foxx as Electro in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, I'll acknowledge that his character was pretty underwritten. They just did not give him a lot to do. The the special effects kind of carried it through. And that carries over to this film. I like a few of the moments that Fox shares with Garfield, but just not enough for him to really land as an interesting villain. All around, there are probably at least 20 unnecessary minutes of mainly just watching these characters hang out and talk with no real narrative purpose. It just really pads the movie's screen time for no reason. Beyond the three main villains, Green Goblin, Doc Ock, and Electro, the remaining two villains that are also brought back they barely register. And Thomas Hayden Church and Reese Iffens are good actors too. They're just hidden behind CGI for almost all of their screen time. Therefore, we pretty much have a five-way tie for wasted talent. This is the Sinister Five, if you will. And that brings us to the trailer moment. The trailer moment is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. The trailer moment, of course, has to occur 
when all three Spider-Men slash Peter Parkers appear on screen together. This is what most of us have paid to see, and it does not disappoint. It also really helps that the three actors who have played Spider-Man slash Peter Parker, they're not that far apart in age, actually. Tobey Maguire is 46, Andrew Garfield is 33, and Tom Holland is 25. They all still look good in a Spidey suit, and they could all each pass for 30. Well, maybe Holland if you give him a beard or something. He does look very young. Regardless, it does not look jarring to see them together, and they play off each other very well. If I had to pick my personal favorite, it's not a particularly subtle moment, but then neither again is this movie. All three of them are gathered high atop the scaffolding around the Statue of Liberty. They're beaten up and bruised, halfway through their battle against these five villains, mapping out their next plan of attack, when we hear two of them utter the signature phrase which defines the character of Spider-Man. You know the one. She told me that with great power comes great responsibility. And that brings us to the final category. That would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. For his ability to provide this film with much of its depth and heart as the titular character, and to be able to pull this off despite having to compete within an often messy narrative, Tom Holland is your MVP. Even though he often maintains the lighthearted tone that we've come to expect from this version of the character, Holland's Peter Parker has his share of emotional beats throughout, and he plays them really well. There's a scene about halfway through, which I will not spoil, but let's just say that we see his character pretty much lose it. It's very raw, and Holland just nails it. I still don't know if I would place him above Garfield's highly underrated work as the character as well, but it's probably a smidge above Tobey Maguire's at this point. Seriously, Tom Holland is a better actor than I've given him credit for, and this film just does not work without him. My rating for Spider-Man No Way Home is three stars out of five. Yes, I realize that the vast, vast majority of critics are just gushing over this movie, and that audiences, mostly filled with that gargantuan MCU fan base, are just going completely bonkers over it. I enjoyed it, just not as much as they did, for the most part. To me, the initial reaction to this movie reminds me very much of the initial reaction to Star Wars The Force Awakens six years ago, which is a film that I also enjoyed but didn't quite love. In the case of The Force Awakens and this movie, it was just months and months of deafening industry media hype, building up towards an event marketed mostly through nostalgia, with everyone online anointing this as the must-see movie well in advance. And then when the movie turned out to be halfway decent and effective at pushing all of those nostalgia buttons, folks just went crazy. So chances are that if you're listening to this podcast, you've already seen it. And if you enjoyed it, fantastic. But just remember, there are a wide variety of movies out there that are not 100% pre-sold. If you're going back to theaters, check them out too. Spread the wealth. And if you're looking for Spider-Man No Way Home, right now it's only playing in theaters. And that ends another webbed review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast. And follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.